0: Hey, welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Kelly Ketrera Show. It is September the 1st, and today on the podcast, what you need to know about colon cancer, your risk, and the signs, this afternoons news of the tragic death of Chadwick Bozeman. And we'll talk about police stopping that 12-year-old on the QEW taking his dad's SUV for a joyride. 640 Toronto listeners will share their own experiences, underage, behind the wheel. But first, I want to welcome to the show Stephen Del Duca, Ontario Liberal leader. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Good to have you along.
1: It's great to be on. Thanks for having me.
0: Something you said yesterday caught my attention, and I'm going to get to that soon enough. But let's start off with uh, what I just mentioned. Ontario's four major teachers unions are going to be filing complaints with the province's Labour Board, alleging that Ah, uh, the government's school reopening plan viol- violates their uh, right to a safe workplace. Do you think the unions are justified in their actions?
1: Well, I will say I think it's really sad that it's come to this. You know, obviously in our society, uh, labor unions have a responsibility to their members uh, to do that what they think is in their members' best interests. And you know, but I but I think the bigger question here. Or the bigger concern I have is that, again, that it's come to this after weeks and weeks and weeks, months, in fact, of time that was available to the government and all stakeholders in education to find a way to get a plan that made sense for everybody. We, we haven't done that. Doug Ford hasn't done that. And so I think it's a really sad comment on the state of affairs. And I think it adds to the anxiety that we're all feeling as parents right now about what September is going to look like for our kids.
0: Well, I guess with so many people having so many different needs, how do you please everyone? It seems like an impossible task. Yesterday, Premier Doug Ford had this to say, and I'm going to get you to comment on it.
2: My concern is how, at the peak of this, and it was running rampant, that PSWs walked into long-term care homes. It's like firefighters, as I described, walking into a burning building, and they don't say a word. They're heroes. The frontline healthcare workers are heroes. The doctors are heroes. How about the grocery store clerk at the peak of this, checking out hundreds and hundreds of people? And then we create the safest environment we possibly can for everyone. And the teachers' unions just want to fight. They want to fight with everyone. I don't want to fight with you. I want your cooperation like every single person in this country has been cooperating, except the teachers' unions. And I'm pleased, the teachers listening, I love you. You're going to do a great job. I, I totally differentiate between the two. It's These people are going to be heroes, and these people want to cause trouble. I don't want to fight. Simple. I want to get along. I, I, I just can't be any clearer than that.
0: Can't we all just get along? That's the Premier Doug Ford asking the unions, can't we all just get along? You know, um, Stephen, when you hear Doug Ford say that, he sounds like he's at his wits end. He does sound quite sincere uh, about the fact that he likes teachers, but the unions always want to fight. Now, the Liberals have have fought with unions in the past. Does he have a bit of a point here?
1: Oh, listen, I think it's a nice sentiment to hear Doug Ford say those words, but I I will tell you now that I've spoken not with teachers' unions. I've spoken with teachers from Windsor to Barrie, everywhere in between, over the last month, and over and over and over again, they've repeated the same message, which is that Notwithstanding that nice sentiment, Doug Ford and his team have not spoken with them and have not listened to them. And, you know, he mentioned in his comments, PSWs, he's wrong. PSWs at the height of the pandemic were screaming at the top of their lungs for more PPE and better testing in our long-term care homes. I think it's completely outrageous. He's trying to draw some comparison because PSWs were put into the line of fire by Doug Ford's inaction. So why wouldn't we wanna learn from our mistakes, his mistakes earlier in the pandemic and do better with education? And I wish he would, I really wish he would.
0: Yeah, I think you have a point there. I I do recall having a few PSWs on the show around that time where long-term care homes were uh, just being ravaged by COVID-19 and they were begging for uh, more PPE. But I think the government's now in a position where they feel secure enough that they have enough PPE to go around. So that's the difference. Let's talk about something that you mentioned yesterday, and this is why I reached out to you. Um, You are asking businesses... The Liberal Party of Ontario is asking businesses to treat education workers as frontline workers. Now, you suggested something um, yesterday about this. Can you maybe uh, give us the broad strokes of what you're asking for?
1: Yeah, for sure. Earlier in the pandemic, I think every one of us was really impressed with how so many of our, our, uh, our entrepreneurs, our retailers, and others across the province had stepped up. We were rallying together. We still are. And that's one of the reasons that Ontario is doing relatively speaking well in, in our fight against the pandemic. People stepped up. They said, if you're a frontline healthcare worker, if you're out there doing what needs to be done, if you're a hero, as has been said, we're going to give you some version of preferential treatment. Maybe you get to come into our store a bit earlier. You know, whatever it happens to be, all voluntary, nothing required. Uh, Different retailers and and others had different approaches to this and so what I've said is with schools about to reopen across the province with Well over 150,000 teachers with custodians school bus drivers This is the next round or the next phase of frontline workers as far as I'm concerned There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of pressure on them We want them to do well because if they do well our kids do well my kids do well if they do well So I'm asking retailers to consider extending the same kind of treatment to education workers who are going to be on the front lines, actually, in most cases starting today, because most teachers report for duty as of September the 1st. So I'm hoping retailers will take a serious look at it. It's all voluntary, but I think it helps to demonstrate the good faith that Ontarians naturally have towards one another so that we can keep flattening the curve and get through this together.
0: Okay, so you're suggesting that maybe grocery stores have special hours for teachers. Is that what you're saying?
1: You know, so, for example, the grocery store that I use in Vaughn, uh, on uh, on when I go grocery shopping on Saturday mornings uh, throughout the pandemic or for most of the pandemic, on a Saturday morning, the store opens up for people like me at 8 o'clock. That's what's posted. But at 7 o'clock in the morning, if you're a senior citizen or a frontline mm-hmm. worker, you can get into the store a little bit early because, you know, you're facing an extra crunch in your life at this point in time. It's not always the easiest thing for the rest of us to sort of deal with. But, again, I think there's an acknowledgment that are most vulnerable are seniors and also people who are out there on the front lines doing the very best they can get a slight a slight bit of preferential treatment or a courtesy that's the best way okay, to I, it, a courtesy.
0: Uh-huh. I think there's gonna be a lot of people Stephen, listening to this right now that are scratching their heads yeah. with uh, why teachers need prefer- preferential treatment for doing a job that they get a really great paycheck for I mean uh, when when you're talking about grocery stores opening or an hour early for senior citizens or frontline medical workers. It's very different. The reason why was senior citizens were at risk of catching COVID. So you wanted to go when there were fewer people there. We, we probably wouldn't want them to go at all, but if they had to go, then that's the time to go. And as far as frontline medical workers go, they're putting themselves at, in a far more stressful situation than teachers are on a daily basis, working with possibly COVID patients. I mean, like you must understand that a lot of us are finding what you're saying a little bit hard to grasp.
1: Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I think if you look at first of all, everybody I've spoken to since yesterday acknowledges that when we work together, when we extend these kinds of courtesies to one another, we do well as a people, as a community. And secondly, I mean, what you just said a second ago, look, I'm not going to take Mm -hmm. anything away at all from our frontline health workers. They've been extraordinary throughout the pandemic. But I think Most people, reasonable people, would look at the situation we're about to encounter in our public schools across the province with 2 million kids, well over 150,000 educators, and so many others, school secretaries, custodians, school bus drivers. This is going to be a vulnerable population. I don't think it's about what people get paid, because I just mentioned custodians and support workers, and, you know... (laughs) You never judge a person so you walked a mile in their shoes. The work they do is extraordinarily difficult, like it is for our educators. And I think it's about extending a courtesy. It's voluntary. I don't
0: know if it's extraordinarily difficult. I don't know. Like, there's some some adjectives you're using here. And, like, I I get it. I think it's important work. I I don't know if it's extraordinarily difficult to be a caretaker. I think it's important work. I think it's it's, uh, especially now during COVID. I think it could be stressful during COVID.
1: I think in the midst of a pandemic, uh, asking somebody to be out there in a school full of elementary kids, mm-hmm. my daughters are going into grade eight, grade four. They're a little bit older. But you're talking about mm-hmm. kids in kindergarten, how they're touching everything, how they can be asymptomatic and carrying the virus. Some of our custodians are a little bit older. If you don't think that's stressful work, if you don't think the work they're doing is extraordinary. No, no, no,
0: that's no, no. That's okay. not what I said. Can, I, did, yeah. I, I said I thought it was stressful. I said, I don't think yeah. it, it's, you know, it, 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 extremely challenging work. Actually, I used a different adjective, but uh, on the spot, I can't think of what it was. But I'm sure it was yeah. it was it was bang on, Stephen. No, but let's let's can I I, I guess what I want to oh, know oh, is how do you think um, the the end goal is to make life easier for front for teachers, care, uh, care, caretakers, bus drivers, principals, support staff? Um yeah. Do you really think that opening grocery stores, uh, you know, an hour earlier for these people is going to make their life easier? Or is that kind of. Uh, I
1: don't listen. I, I, listen, Kelly, I will tell you, I don't think there's I, I don't think there's ever a bad a bad reason to extend courtesies to people in communities like ours. We've done extraordinarily well. The 15 million people or so who live in our province have sacrificed so much for many months now. Our numbers are looking OK. I give everybody credit for that. I think it's okay for us to consider extending a voluntary courtesy from time to time for people who are about to be put in very stressful situations. And if you're out there and you're a listener and you don't think it's going to be stressful in an elementary school or a secondary school starting in a few days and everywhere, not everywhere in Ontario, I, you know, I'd, I'd recommend that you talk to people who are on the front lines and hear about their stresses. That's what I've been doing for weeks now in every corner of the province. And these teachers, many of whom are parents or grandparents, they're afraid and they're afraid for a very good reason. And so if we can extend a courtesy to them that's voluntary, I think it's something people should consider.
0: Okay, so what other courtesies are you asking businesses to um, give to education workers when you want them treated as frontline workers?
1: There's there's a wide variety of courtesies that have been been extended in different, different retailers, have approached it different ways. I mentioned the grocery store I use has extra hours. There are some other uh, retailers who've considered uh, unique discounts for people, whatever whatever is being put in front of uh, other frontline workers that we've extended this courtesy to throughout the pandemic, just requesting that you know retailers consider doing something similar. If they're not able right. to, if a re- if a mm-hmm. retailer's not able to, that's cool. I get it. That's why it's voluntary. But I think it's something that should be uh, should be genuinely considered.
0: All right. Well, Stephen, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I I, uh, I want to thank you for your time today.
1: Thanks Kelly. Have a great day.
0: You as well. Stephen Del Duca, leader of the Ontario Liberal Party, talking about how he's asking businesses to treat education workers as frontline workers. You know, I, I'm clearly finding this hard to grasp I, and I'm not saying that teachers, this is not going to be stressful going back. To be honest, I have a lot of friends that are teachers and you know, we talk quite often and and they are stressed out about going back to school. But, you know, I, I also think it's kind of rich that Stephen Del Duca would ask businesses to do this. He's saying, he's not demanding it, of course. He said, if they can, he gets it. If they can't, they can't. But come on, businesses are having a hard enough time already. And now they have to basically, okay, well, if I don't offer a discount and my competition is, then I'm uh, I'm going to lose business. So either way, I'm going to lose more money. Teachers make a pretty good salary. Now I understand care- caretakers and bus drivers, not so much. But at the end of the day, There's a lot of people that are going to be dealing with the stresses of their kids going back to school. Every single parent who has to work also is dealing with that stress because they don't see what's going on in the classroom. So the great unknown is they don't get to see it. It just comes back to them at the end of the day. I am not king of all people. I am king of Wakanda. And it is my responsibility to make sure our people are safe. That's Chadwick Boseman, who passed away at the age of 43 on Friday. He had been battling colon cancer. No one knew about it. In fact, the director of Black Panther, that movie that we just heard the clip from, had no idea that Chadwick was dealing with this type of cancer. So I got to thinking yesterday, um, we should probably have a guest on to talk about colon cancer, the risks of colon cancer and um, how you can spot it. We're joined now by the president of the Colorectal Cancer Canada, Barry Stein. Welcome to the show. Good to have you on.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: I was a bit shocked. I was digging around yesterday for some stats on colorectal cancer. It's still the third most common cancer in the U.S., and men have a 1 in 23 risk of developing the disease, while women 1 in 25. Why is it that we don't talk about it? Is it because it deals with what's going on in your nether regions?
3: So, um, actually, I think we are starting to talk about it a lot more in Canada a lot of the uh, work and humor that we put into some of our uh, advertising campaigns, and the development of the screening programs across the country. Um, but let me just sort of um, put things in perspective. Um, and in light of this very tragic um, uh, death of, uh, of, of a really amazing actor uh, who I think um, unfortunately, due to his death, is going to bring some uh, really good attention to early age onset of the disease. So first of all, in Canada, we have about 26,900 people this year will be diagnosed with the disease, and sadly, about 9,700 people will die from it. And to put it in perspective with Ontario, that means about 9,300 people will be diagnosed with the disease, and that's both men and women almost equally, and about 3,200 people who will die from it. But in that proportion, um, in in those numbers, the uh, fastest growing subgroup of the population is between 28 and 39 for some unexplained reason. So early age onset is something that we have to start talking about, not only in terms of screening, such as in the um, colon cancer check screening program in Ontario, but also in basic prevention, healthy lifestyles and so forth and not to be afraid to talk about the signs and symptoms of the disease and to see a physician, um, even if you are young. Uh, So we used to say, you know, we're just looking at 50 years and older, but now we're looking at this very young population where the disease can be very aggressive at a young age. It's sometimes due to genetic reasons or family reasons, um, but very often for an unexplained reason. And um, that's what we're trying to get to the bottom of. So- Barry, uh,
0: U.S. guidelines have, are recommending now that adults get screened for colorectal cancer, cancer a full five years earlier than previously recommended at 45 instead of 50. If we're talking about a younger segment now, uh, starting at 29, um, starting to be seen with uh, colorectal cancer, where are our guidelines at and do we need to adjust them?
3: It's a really good question, I have to say, and we've discussed this, um, and it's quite controversial, actually, among gastroenterologists and physicians in Canada. Um, But uh, our screening policy starts at um, 50 years old. Men and women will be screened with a fifth fecal immunochemical test, and positives go on to colonoscopy. That has a lot to do with cost-effectiveness and capacity of our system to get as many people screened um, as possible. And believe it or not, even with those guidelines, we're not getting enough people screened for whatever reason. They're not doing it. Uh, We really have to encourage people to get screened. But in the United States, they did lower the screening target rate. The American Cancer Society um, uh, uh, went for that, and they reduced it from 50 to 45. Um, It's questionable, even in the United States, whether that is the way to go, but nevertheless, that's a decision that they took. And uh, bear in mind that they don't have, like we do in Canada, population-based screening. Their first-line screening is either with their... Um, with colonoscopy, or they have something, a DNA test, which is quite expensive, called a Cologuard. Um, So those are some of the ways. But any way you get screened is a good way, so long as you get screened. The problem is, even in Canada, where we have a really effective test, the fecal immunochemical test, a lot of people are not even getting screened. Bear in mind also, in this sad case, um, um, you know, Chadwick Boseman. He was uh, 43 years old. He was diagnosed at 39 years old with stage three disease. And yeah. he, uh, being an African-American, uh, we like to um, to say that African-Americans should be screened in any event five years earlier than the average, than the regular population. Um, so he really was um, diagnosed um, at a very young age. And I'm very curious to know if there is a family or was a family history. Uh, or genetic uh, reason for it in his particular case.
0: Can I just ask you this? uh, Because I have heard if you have a first-degree relative that was diagnosed with uh, colon cancer, rectal cancer, that you should be screened 10 years earlier than how old they were when they were diagnosed with that cancer. Is that true?
3: It's exactly true. In fact, um, I was diagnosed with metastatic colon cancer, meaning it had gone to my liver and to my lungs when I had turned uh, just 41 years old. So the guideline was that my children were to, our children were to be screened 10 years earlier. So starting at 30 years old, I actually jumped the gun just because we're paranoid. And I do what I do that we... we Paranoid, informed. Well, informed. Depends
0: on how you look at it.
3: Exactly. Uh, Well informed, but also um, very cautious because I probably, uh, they were screened in their 20s. And they could have waited probably till they were 30. But as it turns out, everything was fine. And um, and they are regularly screened. Which is great news.
0: I don't want to. I only have two minutes left. So I want to make sure we get through some things with you while I've got you because you're you're the expert. Um, What are the warning signs of colorectal cancer and who's most at risk?
3: So um, healthy lifestyles has a lot to do with it. Um, the people who are um, – the, the, the signs of it, there are no signs of it, and that's the whole point about population-based screening. We, don't, we want to catch it before there are signs and symptoms, and that's why we start people at 50 years old with the uh, fifth test. Um, so when you have signs already, that's already a symptom, and therefore we're not screening. We're now trying to diagnose what the problem is. And that okay, would, so what that are people looking for? Because I, I want to
0: on. make sure people are informed and, and don't find themselves in trouble because they're ignoring things.
3: So if you have a, a, a abdominal pain, if you have a change in bowel habits, if you have blood in your stools, Uh, if you um, are nauseous, if uh, a a lot, uh, all the time. Uh, These are signs that there could be um, um, a problem, not necessarily colon cancer because there are other problems of the bowel or the small bowel or the large bowel. So there are different things that could be looked into. But there's certainly um, an indication that you would need to have this diagnosed and have asked for a colonoscopy at that stage. So that's diagnostic, that's not screening.
0: Okay, so that's diagnostic. Um, at the screening is the fecal test.
3: And, and exactly, and you have no signs, no symptoms. You just turned 50 years old, and you're just going through the fecal immunochemical test, so a simple home-based test, stool-based test, send it into the lab. If it is positive, then you go on to a colonoscopy. And you have the key is to catch the polyps inside the colon before they turn cancer or at a very early stage when you can be treated and cured.
0: Barry, where do we we get the test? How do we access that? Do we just ask our family doctor?
3: So for um, regular screening tests, it's available. I think the system was slightly suspended due to COVID, and I believe it's restarting slowly right now. It's at Colon Cancer Check in Ontario. And definitely speak to your family physician if you can if you have any signs or symptoms um, because you may need to be referred to a gastroenterologist for a colonoscopy in those cases. And by the way, it is safe to do this even during COVID. They know how to take the proper precautions. Um, Our biggest fear is from the suspension of the programs and people not getting screened that we're going and people being afraid to do the test right now. Uh, whether it's colonoscopy or otherwise, that we will see an increased amount of people with advanced disease. So we really recommend not to put it off at this point and to really follow up on any signs and symptoms that you may have and speak to your family physician if that's possible.
0: Well, Barry, I'm happy that you joined us on the show. I hope that your health is, is good. You sound good right now. And, and thanks so much for uh, bringing to light this very important story.
3: Oh, good. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I don't like to break stories down into gender-based stories, but I think this one is. A 12-year-old boy, did you hear about this kid? Got in some trouble taking the dad's SUV out for a joyride. Uh, Apparently, the OPP uh, and the Toronto Police had been getting multiple calls saying, there's some nut in a burgundy SUV driving erratically. Can you do something about it? They do investigation. They determine uh, where the car was from. Somebody must have nailed the license plate. They call the home. Dad's like, yeah, my car's missing from my driveway. Wait a minute. My 12-year-old son is also missing. And so finally, the several police cruisers brought the uh, kid to a safe stop. Where was he? On the QEW, west of here, Ontario. Wow. Now that, that's some kind of stones. Not only are you taking out your dad's car for a joyride. What's that? That's grade seven? You're in grade seven or going into grade seven, uh, but you get onto a highway. Wow. Holy. Well, that's a good thing that nothing, you know, no one was hurt while this kid was driving erratically. But Chris, I've never heard of a young girl, and maybe I didn't hang around with that crowd, stealing a parent's card and and going out for a joyride. You?
1: Yeah, no, seriously. I have, actually. I remember when I'm not a young girl, a young boy. When I was in grade eight, so we were like thirteen. I I was probably twelve because I've got a late birthday. But two friends just rolled up in front of my house, and just like, "Hey guys, uh, what's going
0: on?" They're driving one of the dad's cars, and it was just like like they wanted me to, me and my brother to come along with us with them. And I just said, you "Know what, guys? No, you know we got somewhere to be. How? First of all, how do I explain that to my mom? This is broad daylight.
1: Uh, we're right. just gonna go off." And uh, go for a joyride right now.
0: That's ballsy. 416-870-6400. Your stories of joyrides. Is, is this something? Because this sounds like something from the 70s. Like you're in, in a, a car with like a bench seat. And, you you know, you take Daddy quietly put it in neutral, slide out of the driveway, get it onto the road, and then you turn on the ignition and away you go. I mean, it just, it doesn't sound like something that happens in the odds and one of my reasons for this is chris i know a lot of kids that don't even care that they don't have their license like they are more than happy to have their parents chaperone them around and all i was doing while my 15th birthday had passed i'm like come on 16 come on 365 i don't know if that dates me wait i do know that dates me dave did did you get a 365
1: no i got the g1 and g2 not okay. The
3: 365.
0: All right. Well, let's get to the phone lines. 416-870-6400. Dave, I'm just opening up my call screening program because I inadvertently shut it down as we got ready to get into a calls thing. Uh, no calls as of yet. Anybody calling in? 416-870-6400. Joyride stories from your youth. Did you ever take the parents' car out? I'm just curious. And what was the decade? Because I think that this is a very old-timey story that happened now Four one six we've got jeff in woodbridge welcome to the show jeff
3: hi thanks for taking my call this, yes in Kelowna, bc my cousin was uh uh 14 i was 12 we took out uh my uncle's um silver cadillac and we took it for a joy ride up through the mountains in mission what? in Kelowna, bc and uh, we went through all the apple orchards and everything and uh we had a great time we um did you get caught you no know, i not until not until weeks later uh, when we started giggling about it and said we were going to do it again we got uh we got you know we got brave about it and we started showing off and saying we know where the keys are and stuff like that right then uh yeah then it came out slowly and then
1: we finally said yeah we took the car
0: right what what is with this scratch on my uh fender and why is there a bushel of apples in the back of my car spiro welcome to the show
3: Good morning. Uh, when I was 16, I remembered my father wouldn't let me get my 365 and he was working night shift. So one morning I just grabbed the car and drove down to the Dairy and Airport Road uh, location. I passed my 365 test and brought the car home. My dad didn't know. A couple of days later, I was told by a friend of mine that if you wait, uh, somebody will cancel and you can just kind of, you know, go in and get your test done. So once again, a couple of days later, I took my dad's car drove over to the same location sat and somebody canceled and then they gave me my test and issued my license right away so uh i drove home parked the car and then three weeks later the um the license came in the mail my dad saw it and he kind of flipped but you know i told him the whole story he shook his head and that was my uh my joyride situation right so Yeah,
0: yeah i'm sure dad was like what are you gonna drive I remember getting my license, and that was what my dad said. That's great. What are you going to drive? And I'm like, oh, right, hadn't thought this through. Hey, Nick in Peterborough, welcome to the show. Uh, this story about this 12-year-old, I'm so happy. And the only reason why I'm talking about joyrides now and joyrides of the past is because this kid is okay. It would be a very different topic if the kid uh, got in an accident or hurt somebody in the process of taking his parents' car for a joyride at 12 on the QEW. Yeah, that's
3: unusual. Um, I have a story about uh, my daughter. She went to visit one of her friends, and her friend said she wanted to take her mom's car to the store. So, but she did not have drive. So my daughter drove the car. Never had a license. And uh, it was in the daytime. When they got back, uh, they're driving down her friend's street, and the friend says, "Oh, don't park here because that's my neighbor. Go park at the next house." And that my daughter pulled in, got. And drove into the
0: house. Oh no! You've got to be six, kidding. Six. No one hurt,
3: but six thousand dollars later, the house was fixed, and so was my my daughter the car that she
2: was driving.
0: Oh no! I appreciate the call. Wow, that's a crazy story. And so it really shows that there's a real there's no uh, gender divide here on the story. Randy, your daughter also took out a car for a joyride.
3: Yeah, she knew I was at work, so she uh, took my little pickup truck, which actually was standard on top of it,
0: because I
3: taught them how to drive when they were younger, like 15, 6, 14, 15. So uh, she took it up to Wasega Beach, because we live close. Uh, her and her friends went to the beach, had a fun time. I didn't find out till I went to get my license sticker in December. And uh, in the, I had a parking She had a parking ticket. She never told me, so it was another $75 on top of my license sticker, else they wouldn't give me my uh, license
1: uh, My license sticker.
0: Wow. Appreciate the call. Wow. Wassega Beach. Wade in Oshawa, very quickly, I'll let you wrap this up. When
3: I was 16, before I got my license in 1988, I took my uncle's dump truck for a drive in Graham and Andrew Brunswick. And uh, the RCP pulled me over, a small town, two cops. Yeah. said, uh, Wade, I know you don't have your license. If you can get that back, I'll pretend I never saw you. No
0: one's ever said a word to me to this day. What year was that? 1988. I didn't even have my 365. Wow. Wow. Back in the 80s. In small town. Where was this? Out on the East Coast?
3: Graham and New Brunswick. I was visiting my
0: cousins. Wow. I appreciate the call, Wade. Everybody knew everybody, and everybody knows everybody's business in a small town. So uh, you're going to be busted. My husband just texted, I used my Canada Wonderland season pass as photo ID to get my driver's license. Wow. That's amazing. Back in, yeah, back <laughs> in the day. Do you have ID, sir? Yeah. No, I have $2 and a Casio.
1: I have $2 huh. and uh, and a Casio.
0: Mm, I'm going to have to say goodnight. And that, my friends, is a wrap. Don't forget, we broadcast live every day from 9 till noon on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Have yourself a great day.